0: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Okay, so I have to start with a question again, don't I? I mean, you don't have to. I mean, I feel like it's tradition now. Um, so let me ask... Oh God, I have to. Think. I didn't mean See, this, for this, this to is, become a stressor. This is, this is where I'm like really struggling. You know what? I have a good. I have a good one. Yesterday okay. was your birthday. Today is eight twenty-five. Even though, yes, it's not that time frame as you're listening. Whenever you listen, but yesterday was yeah. Andy's birthday. So Annie, can you tell me what was the best thing you did on your birthday during quarantine? Because we're still quarantining. Oh.
0: It actually turned out to be a lovely birthday, and I think um, I would say that the relief of not having to plan a party, as much as I love a party, was wonderful, and also, I have an insecurity that people just sort of forget about me in quarantine, and they didn't. They really showed up. I didn't ask, uh, but people brought me beer. They bought me food, like socially distanced, but it was really sweet. It was... um, I'm lucky to have a really good group of friends. You
1: included, Samantha. Aw, Yeah. <laughs> Our celebration's coming a little later.
0: Yeah. Uh, see, now your question is so specific to me that yeah. you
1: can't really answer. What was the best thing you did the, yesterday? This <laughs> is why I did this, because I'm like, I don't really, really want to answer a question. Uh, the best thing I did yesterday, I found a new game on my phone which has all these different puzzles. And I'm like, you know what? This is how I'm going to combat old age. <laughs> <laughs> dementia because <laughs> yes, I'm struggling with the words <laughs> <Perfect. That's laughs> but good. yeah so that's the best thing I did yesterday so um yeah anyway I'm glad to know that you had a good birthday and today because I love when my friends come on we have back Melody Bray who was with us earlier this season I guess every day is our I don't season. know. What, what is this? This <laughs> year? Earlier this year? Season. This time frame? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> to talk to us about the discrimination in housing and women and how it's affecting us today and in the pandemic. And she is back. Welcome. Back. Hello, so I we'll have this back. plot um, of making sure that Melody is always going to be kind of our extra special friend who comes around every month or so, every few months or so. Give us an official friend. Yeah, I know. That that could be misinterpreted. (laughs) (laughs) Melody, you and I have known each other for a long time. So, of course, it's going to be a little creepy because that's what I do. Come on. You know me (laughs) now. But yes, um, we are bringing Melody back because we want to talk to you about what it looks like to be an activist during this political season without necessarily running within any elections and what it looks like and why it's important to do it on a very local front. Um, and also because I love that you have, nothing has slowed you down. This has been a ridiculous time where everybody just kind of quit everything, including me. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done being all the things. Uh, but you have pushed forward and continue to drive and push and be a voice during our electoral season in Georgia. And you have created a new project in a nonprofit. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, first, first I
2: just have to stop. You you referred to me as an activist, which yeah. I have, I, to my knowledge, have not been called an activist before <laughs> and just strikes me as like, I don't know, it's, it, it seems like such a like big and weighty word. Like I just view myself as like a a, a person who sees gaps and fills them if possible or like gets a friend to fill them if I can't do it. So um, thank you for speaking so highly of me. It just sounds weird coming out of your mouth. Um, uh, So current project (laughs) is uh, called the Georgia 55 Project. And um, we are just a group of women here in Atlanta who uh, we've kind of been motivated by 2016. I'd say Hands down, the best thing to come out of Donald Trump's presidency, in my view, is an increased awareness and motivation. And, you know, people are actually paying attention to what's going on around them more. Um, So a couple of friends, um, Abby Green, Katie White, they decided they wanted to go hand out pizza and water during the 2018 midterms in light of the press coverage that was coming out about then Secretary of State Brian Kemp running against uh, Stacey Abrams for governor. Um, And then this past June, uh, with the primaries going on and everybody with eyes had the ability to see that we had this convergence of events that were going to turn into some sort of debacle on the day of the primary. um, Abby and Katie, along with another gal named Adelaide Taylor decided they were gonna do their line warming efforts again and then meantime, I, on another side, was planning on doing my own little line warming effort, and we kind of all like virtually met up. Like some folks were like, hey, you, you, you're doing this over here, and another group's doing this over here. Why don't you guys combine your superpowers and um, see what you can do to provide food, water, COVID supplies to folks who were standing in line. And in a matter of a few days, we were able to raise $11,000 to support our efforts to buy all those provisions for folks in line. We hit 60 precincts um, around the metro Atlanta area to support voters. And most importantly, I felt like we brought like joy and encouragement to people standing in line. It was hot. It was yeah. so hot that day. Right. And if it wasn't hot, it was a deluge of rain. It was one or the other. There was no in between. <laughs> we did that. And knowing that November 3rd was coming up, we decided we were going to pivot from election day to a focus on election month. Mm-hmm. And so Georgia 55 Project feels like every person who votes early is a person who is not in line on November 3rd. Mm -hmm. And we are raising money to be able to provide early voter incentives to folks and then support those who are actually coming out on uh, November 3rd and providing resources to underrepresented communities on, you know, absentee ballot packets, um, instructions on how to do that, where your early voting locations are, um, what some of these roles are on the ballot, how do they affect your daily life, that kind of thing. Um, And we're doing it all through kind of food-centric things. So putting those packets in food bank boxes um, to uh, go to underrepresented communities or Mm
1: -hmm.
2: we'll be at the MARTA, which is our public transit system here, the MARTA farmers markets, targeting those communities, being able to get absentee ballot requests packets into their hands and then follow up the next week when we're there again, when they have a question about the ballot, come back to us, talk to us, you know, Mm -hmm. just being that kind of resource.
1: I love that so much. Um, And just to kind of go back and talk a little bit about what happened in Georgia, because you have done a nice job on making it a positive spin when all (laughs) I saw was a disaster. So, (laughs) in my pessimistic spin, so much like um, a lot of other states, Georgia had a lot of confusion. Wasn't uh, the best. Wasn't the best. um, And a lot of problems. In the whole voting, the fact that they had closed down locations and didn't give people enough time to uh, really prepare or know where to go, one. Two, they also had uh, the long-ass lines that took forever because either the machines were faulty or the place was not did not have enough machines. All of these big, huge problems, which like ended up being an eight-hour wait, if not longer, for a lot of people. That the thought was they were going to start to leave, which, by the way, that didn't happen. People were pissed, and they wanted to vote, and they were more yeah, determined, and I loved so. that. Um, and it was it was a huge delay within, in a lot, actually, it opened up a big conversation about the controversy of what is happening in these areas. Why are these places being closed? Why are they being neglected? And why are people not being made aware of the changes that are happening until the day of, when it's almost too late or more frustrating and making people turn away? And you and these group of ladies came together to make it a more positive experience, which was phenomenal. And I loved, loved, loved hearing of that and then coming in behind that and making it a preventative measure within November because we don't really have any solutions. There's no conversations of real solutions right now outside of the fact that, yeah, the State Farm Arena, which opened up a lot of space and a lot of opportunity. And we are very grateful to have that. I know around the country, other arenas are starting to do the same, um, trying to give more opportunities for people to vote. But it did open up this conversation of what is happening and why are these specific areas being targeted? Because it seemed like when you started looking at um, people's complaints and where the complaints were coming from, it was more populated urban areas, which Mm -hmm. had a lot of complicated questions coming out of it and I did want to talk to you about a uh, little bit about what you saw because you're also uh, a lawyer who if I, I said I'm- like I have referred to your services before. (laughs) You have. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been very, very helpful. And you've also worked within county government as well as FI. Um, And you have seen a lot of the small local stuff and how it can be effective as well as how it could be harmful if people don't understand what's happening within those types of elections. So I want to talk about all these things, including the fact, as we were talking about a little bit, part of the conversation about this complicated process in order to vote in person, is it a part of the bigger conversation of voter suppression? I know you're working on anti-suppression activism. And can you kind of talk about what is happening, what you see as a problem?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the fact that the Georgia 55 project exists, I will be glad when we shut down. when we no longer exist. Um, That you've got just four regular people who um, see this massive systemic issue and are having to, like, at this point, we're having a stamp drive where we collect stamps to give to folks to mail things in. And there was a moment when we were planning it and we all just started laughing at how ridiculous it is that we're asking our parents and grandparents to cough up their stamps in order to give it to other people to vote like it it just it kind of it just blows my mind. Um mm-hmm. it blows my mind. So getting to what you were saying of of whether voter suppression is an issue or not. It is a partisan this is a partisan topic and you largely fall on one part of the line or the other depending on what party you're in in general. Which I think is unfortunate because the facts say something different. It's it's clear. So if you're going to talk about voter suppression, you have to talk about the re- well relatively recent Supreme Court ruling in Shelby versus Holder mm-hmm. that struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And mm-hmm. that section was put in the act originally in order to force or mandate states anytime they were going to make some sort of process change to elections. They had to get some sort of federal approval or oversight. And the ruling of the court essentially was that we've made such strides since uh, this act was enacted in 1965 that we don't really need that oversight anymore, ignoring the logic that perhaps (laughs) the fact that this act exists is the reason we've made such great strides. And Mm -hmm. so... When evaluating whether suppression exists, you have to really focus on kind of the years leading up to Shelby versus Holder, which was in 2013, Mm -hmm. and compare from, let's say, 2010-ish to present Mm
0: -hmm.
2: versus pre-2010 levels. And so, for instance, in Georgia... 214 polling places were closed in Georgia since Mm -hmm. 2012, and 75% of those places were in Black counties Mm
1: -hmm.
2: or predominantly Black counties.
1: Right.
2: Kemp in 2018, um, our current governor, but at the time was Secretary of State, he uh, had 54,000 voter registrations that he put into, quote, pending status, which essentially is like a... Voter purgatory, where you you, you can neither you're not denied that you can't vote, but you can't also actually affirmatively vote. Eighty percent of those were people of color. Wow. And as a side note, Stacey Abrams lost by fifty five thousand votes, and right. fifty four thousand of those were pending. Like you have fifty four thousand pending registrations. <laughs> right. Um, provisional ballots that were cast twenty two thousand of those were cast. Eighty three percent of those were people of color and half of provisional ballots were thrown out. Hmm. So it, it's a crazy thing to me to say that when looking at numbers like that, that 73% of closures in my state were closed in predominantly Black counties and say that there's not some level. That's 75% is well above flipping a coin and mm. having some
1: sort of chance.
2: Right. We're talking about math. Right. Okay, it's not, you can't skew 75%.
1: Wait, I wasn't ready for a math lesson.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I suck at math, but if even I can do a
1: math equation, you know it's the most like
2: basic of math problems that you could come up
1: with. It's one of those common sense, huh, this does not match. What is wrong
2: here? Right. And so even if you were to say, let's say, for argument's sake, it's not some nefarious, smoke-filled room situation where people are coming up with this plan. Because arguably, the idea that any governmental entity is able to come up with a comprehensive and competent plan about anything is a bit Mm -hmm. of a stretch of imagination, right? Mm -hmm. At the very least, you are seeing an issue and refusing to actually take steps to help the issue, Mm -hmm. which to me is just as bad. Right.
1: Right. And I think that's a big conversation of, okay, so we see something's wrong. Only a small people, amount of people are really willing to talk about why this is wrong. How do we make this a change? And I know there's been a back and forth, especially um, after John Lewis, our representative John Lewis passed away. Um, one of the big conversations is if we really want to honor him, you would talk about the voting rights and how to fix it and vote on it, um, which has been a stalemate from what I understand a long, long time because of the majority leader who's decided to table it. That's a whole other conversation in itself. And obviously, this is such a broad subject uh, that goes beyond just when we're talking about feminism in itself, just how it breaks down all the system. But I did want to talk about uh, how who it is expecting. Um, and when we talk about targeting and who is being suppressed, one of the loudest voices, as well as most fearful, like people are afraid of, it seems like, is black women. Um, and specifically women of color, but black women specifically, because you see things, as we've talked about with Kemp, and I'm not going to lie, there's a lot of things that's happening, but whether it's going after a specific mayor who happens to be a black woman when it comes to mask mandates instead of everybody else who has these mask mandates, um, as well as going after Stacey Abrams and her her fight and her trying to find equal rights and uh, fairness in voting, that's a whole other conversation. But in, in itself, we have a history and we actually had a guest on, previous host, Bridget, came on talking about the fact that within Twitter, black women were actually targeted to discourage in voting by whether it's they had fake accounts of a black woman going after other black women, all these things. And, and, and it being said, the reason it was allowed to happen is because people don't want to believe that or people refuse to believe that it's happening. And because black women are so uh, silenced that it is accepted. It is accepted. Um, so I did want to talk about if, you, if you've known or seen or have you uh, had this conversation of why does it seem that Black women are, A, feared and trying to be silenced?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about it, and feared is the right, right term. Like, there's a history of power and ability to get things done behind Black women, mm-hmm. uh, Particularly, it's almost like we've been refined by fire Mm -hmm. um, throughout centuries. And those of us who are still here are a certain brand um, that survived to this date. And so the first thing that I thought of was the Doug Jones election in Alabama. Mm
1: -hmm. Right.
2: That has been largely attributed that you have Doug Jones being elected to a traditionally Republican seat largely attributed to Black women
1: right.
2: mobilizing, getting in their cars, bringing people to polls, um, telling their friends, motivating people, was able to change something that everybody thought was just never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a seat of majority, and that that's any seat of majority, we're not just talking about Republicans here, any position of power, and I'm holding that seat or that position with my bare knuckles. It's, of course, in my best interest to figure out how to remove power from the hands of those who are inherently in their guts, powerful people, if they would just do something when they decide to do something. And so I agree with you 100% that there are, you know, that Brian Kemp issue of him coming down on Keisha Lance Bottoms on mass mandates when. There were, I believe, five, at that point, five other mayors who had done the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Atlanta is the largest city and and more predominant city in Georgia. So perhaps there was some level of of virtue signaling of making her, you know, right. an example for the rest of them. But I just can't... <sighs> Are we always so, supposed to believe in coincidences? Right. I mean, that is kind of
1: <laughs> how it's been swept under the rug. we like, nah, 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 nah. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not what you think, um, which is hilarious in itself. And it's really interesting because when we're talking about um, going after powerful women and then women being, especially black women, going out and telling people, you need to vote. We need to go out. We need to do things. And actually doing things such as driving people uh, to the polls. Um, there's one case that I did want to talk about, uh, Crystal Mason, who was a woman who voted and she was on parole or community service parole, and she wasn't planning to vote until her mom encouraged her to do so. So she did. That ended up costing her her freedom because she was not allowed to vote. They charged her with voter fraud. And then as I'm looking through all of the cases, even if it was, uh, there was another case with Rosa Maria Ortega, who was in Texas, who was also a green card, and she thought she was able to vote and did, and then did it again, not realizing that she could do it twice. It was her, she was like, I did, what? I didn't understand I could. She was voting for the Republican, as in fact, the judge that charged her and actually convicted her of voter fraud was the one she voted for. (laughs) Wow. Which made me laugh in itself. No, it's not funny. I'm sorry. Which made me have this conversation of like, what the hell? And now she's being threatened to being deported because she violated that, even though she did make it on a green card. So this whole conversation of either side, it seems like women are either targeted or at least uh, somehow caught every damn time. This kind of that question of how is it that women are so easily convicted of these charges in order to be made an example of? And have you seen that? Or is that just me finding cases somehow?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would say that if you're looking for cases that are like that, you're going to find them. But I do think that they are there for males as well. Any Mm -hmm. minority group Mm -hmm. is going to be taxed in some way in this area.
1: Right.
2: Uh, In in my opinion. Right, Simply because it goes back to what I was saying previously of a power dynamic right. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as the minority's voice is suppressed and that minority, women definitely fall into that. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other categories as well. So, uh, you know, I think that women, unfortunately, are just under this larger umbrella of wanting to allow majority voices to take over spaces.
0: We have some more of our conversation with Melody, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into it. And I did want to kind of come back into, because it's a back and forth about, is it is voting a right? Or is it uh, that same level of, hey, no taxation without representation? So when you have that back and forth, when we look at those who have had charges, whether it is a felony charge and are no longer allowed to vote. And we saw in Florida, we're seeing yeah. in Florida, the back and forth and back and forth about who has the right. Do you, what do you see as, is this an issue that is about violating someone's rights? Or do you think it's something bigger than that?
2: I mean, it is called the Voting Rights Act. Right right, right. <laughs> so we can we can start there that you know people with bigger brains and and more degrees than myself have uh come to the conclusion that there is a right there
1: mm-hmm.
2: with florida in particular i just found that entire scenario to be it was almost like a double suppression right so you've got For those who aren't familiar with what happened, there was an old law in Florida, it was like 150 years old, that prohibited any individuals who had been convicted of of a felony but had fully served their sentence, including probation and parole, prohibited from voting. It was put on the ballot for a vote, and Floridians overwhelmingly in 2018 said, We want to get rid of this law. Hmm. Governor DeSantis, then decides in response to that, that he wants to create a rule that you have to have, that's fine, okay, that's cool. But you have to have paid all of your court fines and fees in order to vote. And recently that was struck down by a federal judge as essentially an old school poll tax.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So you've got not just the fact that voters, uh, people who have already served time and already, quote-unquote, repaid their debt to society or not able to vote. But you also had a vote that was put on the ballot that an individual executive decided to overturn because he didn't like it. Right. So it's like, it's like some sort of inception suppression <laughs> that they're creating in, in Florida. I'm from Florida. We're creative. Yeah. We're a creative <laughs> bunch. We come up with ways. So, yeah, that, and, it, and Florida is, you know, they're not, they're not the only ones who have various rules on right. what the rights of, of folks who have felony convictions are able to do. But the idea that simply because you committed whatever level of crime it was, if we have already determined that X amount of years is the amount of time that we, we decide is worth you spending in, in jail or prison for this. Right. I don't understand why this residual thing has to carry afterward other than there's a lot of black people in jail. Right.
1: And that was the other (laughs) other conversation is when you look statistically at who is being charged on felony level crimes, whether it's they took a plea deal or is nonviolent, the the numbers are that it is going to be a person of color, that the higher percentage of those who are convicted on those levels, not necessarily because they're Doing more crimes, no, that, because that's, that's, that's who is being other, convicted? Whole other podcast. <laughs> right, and that's and that's that conversation is this is a larger scale of what is happening and why it is coming to a conversation and coming to a head. Even why Kamala Harris is her nomination is being questioned in general mm-hmm. by uh, the black population, and and it makes sense. It it makes sense in conversations of who is being who is being convicted, who is being arrested, who is being actually seen as criminals versus, you know, what is just being done because it looks good. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess that's a better way to say it. Uh, worst way to say it, maybe. But yeah, that's kind of that large-scale conversation of who is coming after this, And we've seen many a times, because drug charges can be felony charges, and that that's the end. Yeah. And it's, it's according to who has the better representation, who has a better reputation even. So it's kind of the, all right, who is being affected and why do people seem to not care as much as some others and why that is an actual conversation that needs to be had on an everyday level and not just when it comes to voting.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the prominence of that Florida issue just brought to light the idea of all the downstream effects of a felony conviction right many of which are not tied at all to the crime itself so whether it's voting or education and that that kind of access that you have or ability to get a job all of those types of things making sure that convicted felons are able to get jobs afterward that's the hard stuff right reinstating their voting right like that's that's low hanging fruit that's the easy <laughs> Easy stuff.
1: That's a signature in the story. It's yeah. a signature and update of your, where you live. Um, yeah. And again, this is... I know, Annie, we, now, we talk about the fact that we bring up things that it's going to be like, it's a whole other podcast. It's a whole other episode. Nope. <laughs> and, and that definitely is one of those bigger episodes, especially when it comes to women who are imprisoned and who are being affected, because we also could talk about the women who are being in being prison for self-defense against domestic violence and who are called hard, hardened criminals. And that's a whole other thing, but I'm not going to go into it just today, today. <laughs> um, but I did, with all of those things uh, that we were talking about, obviously you and your ladies have found one way of fighting against voter suppression through the Georgia 55 Project. What are some other ways that you would advise everyone around the country in the U.S.? Um, to continue to fight? What would be some of your uh, recommendations or resources? I don't know. <laughs> I'm a professional.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I would recommend, first and foremost, do you know who your election officials are? Like your, uh, your state oversees the election, um, but your county administers the election. So stuff like when you don't get your ballot, when you're standing on a long line, that's the county official at the behest of the state. So the state's not off the hook. But do you know who your election commissioner is? Do you remember voting for them at some point, perhaps? You know, um, do they have public meetings? What have they been doing between now and November 3rd? Are they having those meetings? Can, are there public comments? Just listen in, you know? I feel like that on a, on a very small scale level is a pretty easy one to hit. Um, Check your voter registration status. There's plenty of purging of voter rolls and you wanna make sure that whether it's you showing up on uh, an early voting day or the day of, or submitting your absentee ballot, you wanna be sure that you're on those rolls. So check your status today. Coming up with a voting plan today. Are you doing it by absentee ballot? If you are, have you requested it? If you have, is it coming? Has it <laughs> arrived? When it gets here, vote then. Don't wait until you know. I think uh, in Georgia, November third, of course, is uh, general election absentee ballot request deadline is November second. <laughs> like, no need to wait till November second. Let's wait, just do it today. Yeah. Just do it today, <laughs> right? Um, and then uh, there's uh, if you're not in a battleground state. Um, vote Save America is doing. You can adopt a battleground state. You can text bank, um, so if you or phone bank if you're good on the phone. But if you feel a little awkward about that, you can text bank to battleground states to get out the vote to encourage people to do exactly what I'm saying right now. That's the kind of stuff that you can do, literally sitting on your couch from your home um, in the midst of quarantine to be able to encourage people to just use their voice. Um, John Lewis, again, he was an, just such a hero to me. And he had said that like, voting is one of our most precious gifts. Mm-hmm. And the idea that folks who came before me who look just like me, they laid down, they were willing to lay down their lives. They risked so much for this one thing, the least that I can do is go take advantage of that thing. So vote.
1: I miss him. <laughs> um, yeah, do. Now, I, w- I kind of want to go back because you did talk about um, absentee voting, and I just kind of wanted to uh, have a quick conversation because I know our representatives have been letting us know that the Center for Voting Information has been sending out absentee uh, ballots to people, and it actually is a real thing. It so is. for those who are getting those... I got mine. <laughs> but can you kind of talk to people about, again, why it is important that if you need to, and also check and see if your state is allowing it, because it is a conversation, about absentee voting?
2: Yeah, so... In the midst of this pandemic, a lot of people just don't have the ability to go into a voting booth. Um, or even before this pandemic, some people can't stand in line outside for long periods of time in order to go into a voting booth. So absentee voting, make sure that um, you read the instructions that are provided with them and follow them to a tee uh, to make sure that your vote is counted. Most secretaries of state have a website where you can then log on and track your absentee ballot. So you can put it in the United States Postal Service box and just mail it normally. What I would say is a better step is to locate where absentee ballot boxes have been placed in your city. And those boxes are secure boxes, at least in Georgia. They're required to have 24-7 video monitoring. Uh, They have to be in well-lit areas. So there's no like tampering with the box. Putting it in that box means it goes directly to your elections office as opposed to going through the post office to the elections office. Uh, When it's received, you're able to go on the website and see it's been received, it's been actually counted toward you. Just tracking it, Mm -hmm. I think, is is very important. Um, And if it comes to November 2nd and you've tracked it and it hasn't been logged, take your butt down. To the, the polling place, like Michelle said, pack yourself a brown bag lunch and hop into line. If you're in Georgia, Georgia 55 Project will see you in line with some food. Um, <laughs> but go go down there and actually vote in person to make sure that just because you missed that absentee ballot, you're not missing out on the opportunity to speak up on your own behalf. That's correct.
1: Um, and... Speaking of the ballot, uh, can you, because you've already kind of jumped into about uh, local elections and why that is really important and local issues. Can you talk on that a little bit as well?
2: Yeah. So as I said previously, election, your elections are administered locally. Um, All those cute little old lady poll workers, they run through the election board. They get their training through the election board. Um, the machines that are being utilized at polling locations—they uh, are provided by the state. But who's setting those things up? Who's actually making sure? Like in our case, some of those lines were really long because there weren't wasn't paper for the election machines. All of that is administered on the local level. And so, the more that we pay attention to what is going on at the local level, the more that we're able to see perhaps the people that we're putting in positions that oversee these things, maybe they're not the right people. And just because it's lower down on the ballot, we think that it's a less important job. And I Mm -hmm. feel like if you're talking about what affects our day-to-day lives, oftentimes it's those really, you know, down-ballot races Mm -hmm. that are going to affect your day-to-day life, like, how long is this line that I'm waiting in?
0: We do have a little bit more for you, listeners, but wait. We have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. We had just our official runoff in Georgia and it included sheriff's office and it included the Superior Court uh, in Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia, which is a big hub. And as we know, there's a big conversation about defunding police and what that looks like and or not defunding and or rehabilitating, whatever it may be. But it comes to the fact that we need to look at our leaderships, and we have a voice when it comes to making sure we have the right leadership for whatever that is, whether it's also the council, all of that. And it's big budget stuff. Like, they are the ones that use our money.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I would say, like, we can definitely blame the government for a lot of things, but you can't blame them for our own lack of education on what those roles are, how important they are, and how to vote in light of that thing. So, you know, be sure to pull up your ballots before you get there um, on November 3rd or whenever you early vote. Have your ballots open when you're doing your absentee, filling out your absentee ballot, and start researching. Go go on Google. Google each of those names. See, see what comes up, you know? Right. It's not hard to find uh, scandals and shenanigans and all the backroom stuff. Like, it's, it's on. It's on. Right. We have the benefit of the internet. Use it. Right.
1: Hopefully we'll have correct information. That's the other part is the weeding out the false versus the truth. But yeah, yeah, it's important that we do take the time to study it and look at it. Um, And I I love also, as I was getting ready to have this interview and this conversation, because it is such a big topic right now, and it's so important, um, that I found an organization called uh, the Higher Heights Leadership uh, Fund who specifically work with Black women and Black leadership in trying to bring as many strong Black women into a leadership position, whether it's political or elected officials. And I love that. And they kind of created a movement called Hashtag Black Women Vote. And it is the bigger conversation of... This is a powerful group of women who can change uh, the results of an election and have been ignored or have been suppressed and trying to come together in one way or another. It is not necessarily trying to sway anything. It's just trying to get people out to vote and how important that is for our our nation.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when you just think about the things that are important, I'm not going to say that you know, Black women are a monolith and we all think the same way. But I can say at least myself, my mother, you know, the Black women in my life that we have these conversations. The topics that consistently come up are ones like safety, (laughs) schooling, access to education, access to food, Mm -hmm. good healthy food near your homes, and those things are important for everybody, right? Right, But it, it comes up consistently when I'm talking to my people. Right. And so if, you know, something like hashtag Black Women Vote, if Black women are able to use their voice in those ways, we all benefit. Because we all should be caring about education and safety right. and healthy food near, you know, near our homes, like. Those are the things that lead to a thriving, a thriving city, a thriving citizenry.
1: Right, right. And and, and issues like that, specifically, you know, I keep coming back because this is so. This is what I did. I did state and county government for the longest time. And the fact of the matter is, our state is one of the highest for uh, black women dying from uh, childbirth,
2: infant mortality.
1: Thank you, infant mortality here, and all all of those things. It just kind of a bigger conversation of what we need to look at why it is important that we see this as a representation of what is needed and the change that is needed and the representation that is needed. Because for so long, we ignored it. Too long. And in some areas are still ignoring it and still not willing to talk about the fact that this is an underlying social issue. This is an underlying political issue that needs to be Uh, talked about that needs to be uncovered, that needs to be dissected to see why it's happening in the first place.
2: So one of the things I would say, which this might be, this might be a controversial position, but I think that one of the reasons why it's difficult for us to get below the surface is because there's naturally going to be a defensiveness that comes up when having that discussion. Because essentially, like, going back to what we were saying about voter suppression, if I come to you with those stats and I say, this is a race-based issue, and if you don't see that, um, that means you are a racist. We no longer are having a conversation about voter suppression. Now we're having a conversation about whether I'm a racist, right? Um, and same thing like you were just talking about, like if we're not going to talk about what maternal mortality and its relation to race, and that's a healthcare issue. And if you don't want to address that, you are now anti-woman. Right. Um, we're now talking about that as opposed to, what can we do to solve this healthcare issue? And so I feel like there's a need to pivot the conversation away from trying to assign some level of internal motivation to the person -hmm. And more like, can we just talk about the facts? Like, can we just talk about this as an issue? Can we just agree that this is something we should be tackling? Right. And I don't have to make that be a judgment on you as a human being. Right. And I know that, you know, I'm sure there are folks that are like, well, that's just some mealy mouth garbage way of going about doing this because you're not calling a spade a spade. Right. For me in particular, you could call it, whatever you want. The point is, I want less Black women dying in childbirth. And if we can achieve that, then whatever.
1: Right. right. (laughs) And I think that's one of the big conversations uh, my coworker, Courtney, and I had, who she is a Black woman who works in the same field as I. And we had to have this whole conversation of what does it look like when we reframe a conversation? And that's what she kept saying rebranded so that it, it seems nicer. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to people being defensive, sometimes that is what has to happen. Unfortunately, when all you really want to do is shake and be like, stop being a dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that doesn't work. Um, and, and it is. It's kind of that fine line of who compromises to what conversation and but what is the outcome of that conversation. And it right. just, and it's, it's it's interesting to me that the people who are the ones who are most likely to compromise are those who are the most affected. I know. Because I they just it. want to make I change. I, I get the,
2: I yeah. definitely get the counter argument. It's like, well, why am I always the one who has to right. contort myself into all these ways in order to maneuver through these spaces? Listen, that's just how it is. Right. <laughs> like, if we want to get things done, if we want to actually move the needle, then sometimes you're going to have to do extra work. My mama told me that from the very beginning. She's like, you're going to have to work harder for longer than other people. Just get used to it and keep doing it. And hopefully by myself and people like me doing that, the people coming up behind me work a little less hard the next time around.
1: I love that. Exactly. And it's unfortunate that that's where we have to be. But yeah, I absolutely hear that. But it's frustrating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I'm just saying. Uh, Annie, I've taken over the conversation again, so <laughs> do you have...
0: So <laughs> why, why do you let you there?
1: Why do you keep letting me do this? I Quiet as a mouse. You know
0: what? I really need to work on, and this is true, I cannot interrupt people.
1: I can't do it.
0: Oh. Um, so I'm just like... Just do it. Yeah, it's sorry. like on my to-do list, I promise. <laughs> See, <laughs> um, I'm a Jamaican,
2: like Jamaican culture. If you don't, if you don't <laughs> learn the art of interruption, you will never art. speak in a family the entire time, your entire <laughs> life. Never get a word in.
1: They say and you know, she just, ramble. She just sat in the corner and never said a thing. <laughs> and I will ramble. I will keep going on my little tirades. You know this. So you have to. I stop like me. your tirades, though.
0: Um, <laughs> I guess going off of that, um, first of all, I had many, many friends who sent me very happy text messages on voting day with the pizza. So it was a big hit. Awesome. Um, if you, for someone listening who maybe wants to get involved, as we've been saying, in politics, but not necessarily by running, and we've talked about text banking and um, phone banking, and um, I love food is the way to people's hearts, of course. Um, I guess, what, do you have any advice for people who are maybe intimidated about how to do something like what you did, like logistics, or it could be most basic of of things? Yeah, w- what I'd say is that
2: there's something like Georgia 55 Project in most cities. Like, we're not, we're not special. We're, we just happen to be here in Atlanta doing it. Um, find that find that group. And we are always looking for people to help us. <laughs> Speaking on behalf of all of those groups. So we have folks who they're videographers and they are, they raised their hand and said, like, we can do promo videos for you and sizzle reels. Like, they're not, they're used to not being seen or have to be out, but they've been able to use their particular gift and skill to help us. So think about what is that thing that you like doing? Like, what's that thing that gets you geeked? And proactively approach that organization with like, hey, here's something I'm good at. Can I help you with that thing? And for the most part, the smaller groups are going to take you up on that. If you're going to some large, like, I'm going to go to the Democratic Party of my state, you might get a response email saying thanks for emailing us (laughs) Um, but for these smaller grassroots organizations if one of the things that it's difficult for all of us to do is just fielding all of these emails when it's just a general like hey i'd like to help Mm -hmm. if you come in with i'd like to help and i do this do you have a need for this they will say "Uh uh-huh yeah no we (laughs) yes yes give us that (laughs) So that, that would be my encouragement.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. I think people are really uh, fired up about it, uh, which makes sense. So right. I know our listeners, we've got some pretty awesome listeners. Uh, and I'm excited to see what they'll do. I know. They're very skilled listeners too, I'm sure. Yes. So yes.
2: Use those skills for good and not evil, folks.
1: Yes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good advice. Um, so is there anything else that you want to talk to us about or anything we miss at Melody? No, I think that, um,
2: I mean, it's a very, like, we, we kind of went all over the place there a little bit, but... You
1: know, that's how I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is how you do. That that's is how, how you I do. do.
2: Yeah. Um, I hope that, you know, I can come back on after November 3rd, perhaps in sometime in December, and we have, like, a lofty conversation about how all, mm-hmm. these, the all these efforts actually... Turned out to to benefit voters and voter turnout.
1: I yeah, hope so too. We definitely will. Um, and you uh, had mentioned a little bit earlier about having your own podcast. Can you kind of tell us about that? Yeah,
2: I am uh, starting a rolling out a podcast. We come out next month. It's called Civic S I V I K, and it's focusing on local Atlanta politics. Again, going back to how important that is. Um, what I found during this last primary was that folks just didn't know what they didn't know. But once I let them know, I had issued a, a voter guide. Um, once I let folks know, like, hey, this is what a, what a DA does. This is what a sheriff does. By the way, this is what our DA did. <laughs> <laughs> this is what our sheriff has done. That all of a sudden that people empowered with that knowledge we're more motivated to go out and vote. So I've started this podcast, wanting to talk myself and my friend Coleman Wood, just talking normally about politics, not talking heads and you know big words. And we're all consultants for various parties, just regular people talking about uh, political shenanigans. Um, and it's been fun. It's been fun.
0: I'm excited oh, about it.
1: Who doesn't love a shenanigan? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, the shenanigans. Yeah, it depends on the shenanigan. <laughs> 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 I think that's great. I'll never forget the first time I voted. And it was, uh, something was on the ballot that was like, I mean, so many paragraphs long. And I must have stood there and read it like five times and I still didn't know. Like the legal ease was just so intense. I was like, I'm not even sure. <laughs> what you're <laughs> Sounds asking good, right now, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Those voter questions. Yes. Oh, man. Um, and yeah, to inform people of that beforehand too. Yeah. It, it's, some of these are written in such a way that there's no way for a regular person to discern what the proper answer is supposed to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Civic will cover stuff like that.
1: Awesome. Yes. So Atlanta people, look out for that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Thanks for the shout out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So where can people find you, Melody, all up on the interwebs?
2: Oh, that sounds so broad. Are you talking to me personally?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you personally, whatever you want (laughs) to shout out. Just lurking in the corners of the
2: interwebs. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I would encourage folks, if you want to support what we're doing here in Georgia, go to georgia55.org. Um, you can donate there. Um, you can send us stamps for our stamp campaign, um, or you can donate monetarily. Uh, one of the, you know, sponsor a restaurant um, that is helping us in our uh, early voter push and that supports local business while also supporting voters. Um, so, Georgia55.org.
0: Sweet.
1: Thank you so much for being with us, Melody. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a fun time. Um, I'm going to have ours. Uh, uh- constant correspondence for us constant correspondent <laughs> she's a correspondent for our, our network no, i'm and, yeah, I don't know reporting I don't know. from any various of these, places around yeah, the world i have no idea what any of the things i said meant keep going
0: <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea what the things i said meant. <laughs> <This> is melody <laughs> correspondent
1: from london
0: wherever yeah so that brings us to the end of this interview i one day i'm gonna meet melody in person one day.
1: I feel like, you, I, I think we've had this conversation before. We have but had yeah, this You guys exact- missed each other the last time, but one day when we're out of pandemic, it will happen. We will all come together. Because my, I, I think she's just such a great, uh, she's just full of information that is fantastic. Yeah. And she, as, as a person who's been in law, who's been around the block when it comes to bylaws and conversations and voting and understanding that language better than me, Uh, (laughs) who I have to follow people like her and other people who are specialized in this type of conversations, that I think she's just a wealth of knowledge that I love that we have on tap because she is fantastic. Thank you, Melody. Yes. And
0: um, all great advice, everything she said. Like I said, I got my absentee ballot yesterday, and it came with a cool graph that showed my voting record. Like, And it said I was above average, and I was like, oh, (laughs) Above average, how? I'm easily appeased. No, it just means I vote more than average in my county. Okay. Okay, <laughs> That's gotcha. all it means. is nothing special gotcha. at all.
1: But yeah, um, I would love to hear what everybody else is doing out there. I know yes. we talk a lot about our local stuff because I find it fascinating just to see what's happening. And Georgia's kind of slowly turning into a swing state, hopefully, more and mm-hmm. more. And um, I know the senator race in Georgia has gotten pretty... Uh, heated and pretty yeah. close, so uh, it's kind of interesting to see, and I want to hear what's going on around the country as well, so please let us know what's happening with y'all. Yes, yes, and you can
0: send that information to our email, which is MomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff have Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard.
1: Thanks, hamburger guy!
0: <laughs> Thanks to you for listening. Stuff Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows.